Good day, everybody, and welcome to the Vittles and Vitals podcast, where we talk about important stuff and how that stuff connects to food, because everything connects to food. It's me, Dr. Gay, Ana Al-Ab. It's me, Akub, Ana Al-Ibn. And we're your hosts. So today we have a very special episode about a place that's very close to our hearts. It's mm-hmm. a place that, until we moved there in late 99, quite just before Y2K, then um, we didn't even know a lot about it. Had we not studied and you know learned about it because we were going to live there, not a lot of people had heard about the country of Yemen. Didn't Chandler move to Yemen at that one that one episode? I think that is probably the most famous um, discussion of Yemen in in media up till mm-hmm. then. Uh, after that, things got kind of dicey, and there were uh, yeah there was problems, and we're going to talk about that. But yeah, yeah, Chandler, I watched it the other day to kind of bone up on it, and he's trying to escape his loudmouth girlfriend who he kept going back to. I can't remember. Chandler Bing. Jan- yeah, Jan- was it Janice or something like Janice. that? Janice. So she uh, she was just getting to be a little too much, and he was trying to get away. So he, he buys a flight to Yemen and keeps thinking that she's going to leave, and he, she doesn't. But he says, I'll just write me at one Yemen way, Yemen road, Yemen. <laughs> and yeah. she's getting on the plane. So anywho. And then he gets off when he gets well, – I guess he's getting on the plane, and there's a lady there that's clearly uh, Arab, and you ask her for some help. And uh, Anyway, up, I don't know, to, it's been up, a up to that point, even I, I had heard of Yemen as a, I'd, I'd taken a trip to Ukraine when I was, um, I guess in my late 20s. And after that, kind of Yemen came on my radar. And then there's a whole long story about how we got there. But anyway, in late 1999, um, Jacob, who was about one and a half, a little over one and a half years old, we got on a plane and made the grandmas cry. Mm-hmm. And because we were yanking their one and only grandson um, to a far, a kingdom far, far away, which is what I like to call it now. That's what it seemed to be. And it is, um, unfortunately, when Yemen is on the news, it's usually not good news. But we found it to be a very um, beautiful place. And it has mm-hmm. its troubles, for sure, and we'll talk about that. But one of the interesting things that I remember when I first started learning about it before we moved is that, you know, everything, every, everything I heard was 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 bad about how hard it was to live there and um that sort of thing and how isolated it was and um once i actually got in touch with somebody um who was in my same kind of state uh, small children pharmacist um he was like oh we love it our kids love it it's great and that's the first kind of positive thing i'd heard about it so um we were married in not you and i but you and your mother. Um, we were married Me and my in, mother? in February. You, you and my mother. I think that's what I was trying to say. I might, I might have jumbled that up. When Melissa and I got married. Thank you. In February of 97, um, you, you began growing in May of 97. And that became, um, I'm thinking about September. I had the opportunity to go and visit. And, you know, mom was a little bit far along with you to make the trip. So I went to Yemen by myself, which is, seems kind of crazy now in hindsight. But uh, went and spent a couple of weeks there. Loved it. 
and you know called her and said like this is this is you spent a couple weeks couple weeks yeah wow that's a that's a serious vision trip i didn't actually know that it was serious yeah it was well 10 days to two weeks it was a pretty good long time because they wanted me to get a you know get a feel for what it was like Mm -hmm. because for there was a potential job opportunity there later so anyway so that was it we came back we we did all the things to get ready to go and um and went in late 99 and of course the big thing then was you know the world was going to collapse um at y2k all the computers were going to stop working and you know just the whole infrastructure was going to die because the computers were going to crash uh of course that did not happen and the reality was that in yemen not a lot of things were run by computers so we were probably safer there than uh (laughs) than we would have been here that is true. That is true. It is like going back in the Dark Ages. And there's a reason why it's like being in the Dark Ages when you, we were in Yemen. Why do you say that, Dad? There was a reason? Well, it certainly is one of the oldest places I've ever visited, if that's what you're referring to. Oh, yes. Um, we. It's like, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way at all, but when somebody described it as, as you know, getting off the plane and hurling headlong into the 1950s, um, just because technologically there were things there, but they, you know, it just wasn't quite caught up with, I mean, it was, um, I don't know how to describe it, but there, I mean, not only was it technologically not quite caught up, it, it made some rapid advances in the 10 years we were there, very rapid advances. Mm-hmm. I mean, we went from having dial up internet and, you know, taking about you know three weeks to download a picture to having uh, ADSL towards the end when you could actually have a, you know, a, like a Skype conversation, a video conversation with somebody and not go crazy. So things rapidly um, advanced. We had, you know, people had iPhones and stuff towards the end. I did not. I still had my nice block phone that survived oh, yeah. a trip down the toilet and back. Oh, yeah. Those things are awesome. That's another story for another day. But, um, yeah, w- the old city, okay, we did our language study in Sanaa and – that's the capital, and the story goes, the legend goes, that Sanaa was founded by Shem, otherwise known as the son of Noah. Shem, wow. So, so that, uh, Shem, wow, yeah. Shem, wow. <laughs> so that was a long time ago. I mean, it doesn't yeah. get much older than that. And Not when really. you go in the old city, it's one of my favorite places to visit. I mean, they had these, the, the traditional houses and buildings in the old city of Sanaa looked basically like gingerbread houses. They had white plaster and they had these windows called camarillas that were, camarilla, mm-hmm. camera me- meant moon. And there was like this half moon shaped stained glass. They were beautiful. And in, in the middle of the day or when the sun would hit them, the, the colors would just shine into the room. It was really awesome. We have some representatives of those here, not a, not a full on camarilla, but you know, that was one of our favorite souvenirs to take didn't we to have get. a friend that actually like had it one installed in their house i feel like you're right but i can't remember who it was i feel like we had somebody you mean on that this somehow, side of the pond yeah on this side of the pond somehow like got a, a full size to the state and had it installed in their house oh that may be yeah they're, they're kind of fragile though they were made of uh not limestone i don't think but plaster like plaster and, right yeah, yeah yeah i mean you had to be real careful with them um we got some little baby ones home but not a big one although i would love to have one if we ever built a house but so it started way way back now now it's called the republic of yemen and you know i think this is something i realized as an american is you know we look back and we're we're 200 plus years old we look at the liberty bowl liberty bell not the liberty bowl we look at the liberty bell and think wow that's really old but we're talking about thousands of years of history in a place like yemen that Mm -hmm. you know goes back 
practically to Noah. Um, one of the cool things about Yemen was, you know, how it's mentioned in the Bible. And I think mm-hmm. we mentioned before on our Christmas episode last year, our two Christmases ago, talked about how the um, possibility of the wise men coming from Yemen, even though mm-hmm. it's not exactly east as we know east, but, um, you know, how the frankincense and the myrrh, you know, we can still buy that on the street. I won't go into that story. Go back and listen to the Christmas episode, folks. It's not too late. Um, but Queen of Sheba, who we know from the story of Solomon, uh, Sheba was basically Yemen. Um, if you read the history of this, you'll find that, you know, some people say it's Ethiopia. Um, but I think I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb and say some scholars agree or most scholars agree that probably was a kingdom that encompassed Yemen and Ethiopia, which at the time mm-hmm. would have been just across the Red Sea from each other. So it was probably a large kingdom. Uh, Queen Belkis was her name. Um, went to Solomon, you know, did the things that are discussed in the Bible and came back. And, you know, there's all kinds of stories about, you know, the Ark of the Covenant being in Ethiopia. That's probably another story for another day, too. But, I did not um, know that. Oh, yeah, it's there. They'll tell you it's there. Yeah, we definitely mm. need to talk about that one day. I was about to say, that's a, that's that's getting bumped up to next month's that's, episode. That's another probably. episode, yeah. But anyway, it's it's there. I mean, in you you in the in Psalms and some other places it talks about the people of Sheba will come. And so Sheba is mentioned many times or a significant number of times in the Bible, but particularly that story of Bill Keese. And we lived in the neighborhood of Jibla for a while. Some people mm-hmm. will remember back in uh, 2002 there were some shootings there some friends of ours were were shot and killed and uh, but just to go backwards a little bit when I first went there um, Queen Arwa was another queen of Yemen that lived in Jibla which now is basically a, a village yeah, it's like a time, backwater town if I remember correctly yeah but at the time it was I mean that's where the queen lived a different queen uh, and you could go to the palace although it wasn't a palace as we would imagine it um you could just go and pay the the kid at the front door you know a few bucks and they give you a little tour um (laughs) since that time it it really kind of went down and that's one of the things that was kind of sad about like the tourist trade the architecture was something that people went to see um you know i would go back for the food now but Mm -hmm. the um as far as they just didn't have the resources when you look at the other countries in the area saudi especially oman the dubai that have all these oil resources yemen had oil but not nearly to the level that the other countries did and it just didn't enrich everyone like it did in some of these other places so you still had a lot of poverty a lot of um just a lot of corruption that sort of thing that comes Mm -hmm. with that sort of um situation and um so you there was a place I wish I knew my history a little better, but the, the Hemurite kingdom, I believe, was also based there at one point. And there was a certain village, and I don't remember the name, but you could go to this village where the, the Hemurite kingdom was based. And if you're if your historical scholars are listening and I got the wrong name, just forgive me. But there was a kingdom there at some point in history. And you could go to the houses in the in the village, you could see like there was a, a prison that was kind of basically a big pit. Um and there was um, houses that would have bricks. Like, it would just be random mud bricks, and all of a sudden there would be a carved elephant or something. That oh, where wow. They had, where they had taken pieces 
out of the old palace and just uh, repurpose them huh. as as bricks in their house. And you could, I mean, it was easy to see. Just walk around the village and, and see it. So that was kind of cool. In one sense, in another sense, it's kind of sad that all that history is, you know, spread out and not well recorded. But um, yeah. Anyway, so but those mosques are tip top shape. Absolutely, there's one in Sanaa. They call it the, the the Great Mosque. I believe it's one of the largest in the world and mm-hmm. one of the oldest. Um, at at one point, I think this may have happened while we were there or shortly before we got there. They were doing some renovating and uh, this part of the roof caved in. And when the roof caved in, the a bunch of books fell out, <laughs> <laughs> and so they found these ancient copies of the Quran and some other writings there that um, you know added a lot to the to the study. I'm not sure if it helped or hurt, but mm. I just remember there were some really really old books that that came from that. So anyway, just all this history. The Ottoman Empire eventually came in and and took it over. I think it kind of went back and forth under Ottoman rule for a while. And shortly, and when I say shortly, I mean in the 1900s, um, you had northern Yemen being ruled by the the imams. Now, by the imams, I'm talking about a group of, but Imam Yahya started. Later, his son, Imam Ahmed, took over. And then his son, I think it was the last imam before this sort of revolution happened. Meanwhile, down south... You had Aden in that area that was basically a colony of Britain. So, For reference of those at home, Aden was a port city. Uh, so that's why, and it's right there at like the tip of the Indian Sea. So it's like a really good trade Indian spot for ocean. like Africa to India. Indian Ocean. Oh, just, the Indian just, Ocean. <laughs> just to be clear. The Red Sea, and then the Gulf of Aden, and then the Indian Ocean was out there. Yeah, so... It was it was it was a major port, uh, kind of a place to drop off and refuel on the way to India. And of course, you know, you know, Britain's re- uh, relationship with India during those times. But and there's a there's a show. Let's see, I, I should have looked this up. What was the show I told you to watch? The last something. Um, I couldn't tell you. Uh, I'll, I'll come up with it. Because I definitely anyway, didn't watch it. After you sh- told me to watch it. <laughs> there's a show about Auden that was on Prime, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway quite good if you're interested and i'll try to come up with that name and put it in the show notes once we have show notes i don't Um, we don't have show notes so back and forth um the british left in 67 i believe and then in 69 the communists took over so Aden's had this really wild history they were british and then they were communist and then they reunited with the with the north um i think unity since 1990 but even since then, there's been talk of secession. And then lately, uh, early 2010s, of course, you, you remember in 2000, you don't remember, but... I don't remember. In 2000, a... the USS Cole was bombed in the, in, the, in the port of Aden, which was a major thing, which, uh, you know, made all of our, my parents and your grandparents upset, but even though we were far, far away from it. Um, and then in 2002 were the shootings at Jibla Hospital, which was very close to us. A little, a little bit closer. Yeah, um, in fact, um, three people were killed, and then the the gunman went into the pharmacy. Uh, I happened to not, I was working in the pharmacy prior to that, but um, that's the reason we went, and then I had taken another job after that point, but the the last person shot was a pharmacist, but he he survived it, um, hit him in the love handle, 
and uh, so thank God for love handles. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, he's still he's still pushing pills today. Um, so early 2010s, we left in 2009 after about 10 years, and shortly after that was when Arab Spring kind of hit the Arab world, and Yemen was a part of that. And um, over time since then, a tribe known as the Houthis from the north kind of began rumbling. And um, this is very, very loose history if you've already figured that out. But um, they began to take over parts of the north and took over, basically have taken over the government. So now there's essentially civil war again. Mm -hmm. So we have one of the most... um, I've seen it called one of the greatest humanitarian tragedies in history right now because you have the civil war essentially going on between the Houthis and everybody else and the the recognized government. And you have, um, on top of that, there was a cholera epidemic. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, anytime you got a war like this, you know, you've got groups trying to help and send aid, but that aid doesn't always get to where it's supposed to go. And so you've got people starving, you've got people you know, without medicine, and then cholera hits, and that's even worse, and that's related to water sources, and water was already a problem. When we were there, they were warning that Yemen might run out of water in the next few years. Of course, we we didn't, but it was very, this is one of the things that I think makes me appreciate life on this side of the pond uh, even Mm -hmm. more, is that, you know, we would have, well, I would say planned power outages. We, We didn't plan them, and we didn't know when they were coming, but but almost every day the power would go out for for several hours, and you just never know when it was going to hit. So, you know, I still I still remember one of the most vivid memories from Yemen was one night I was asleep and I woke up and my body was drenched in sweat mm-hmm. because <laughs> my fan had turned off in the middle of the night, and that was it was towards the end of our living there, and it was right when like the the new wave of additional power outages uh-huh. were being added. So there were, it was more time without power, uh-huh. but they chose night, which is looking back the best time to do it. Unless you're wearing but, a CPAP machine and all of a sudden you can't breathe when the power goes off, which happened to me a CPAP number of times. back then? I was. And so wow. it was pretty, pretty dramatic when your breathing machine stops cold. That's a, <laughs> at what point, what was it? Was like mom had to like get up in the morning and like, give it has like a little pump to pump that thing i mean no, I, I just it just took it off took it off took the mask off and went, back and there went back to sleep if i could most i was like you i was sweating to death make a little steam engine a little little coal in there to right, get it going right well but see then you got the water too we would get water in tanks so we had like big tanks on the roof and big tanks on the ground and the water would come in like once a week and you would do your laundry while the tanks were filling up because then you could it would just refill and refill and refill but when the water quit you were done until the water started coming back in um if you ran out you had to like there was a guy i had a guy and i had this guy's phone number and whenever we ran out of water i would call this guy and he would come he would come in a tanker truck and we'd throw a giant hose on the roof and fill up the tanks i wonder where he got his water from well, they you could buy it, I and mean, that's the thing. You had to buy that water. It was more expensive. It was pennies uh, when it came in from the city, and dollars when it came from the the guy. The guy. <laughs> so, anyway, that very drastic change in in um, you know in lifestyle. But we overall, let's see where our time is is escaping us because I could talk about this all night, but or all day, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, so I do, I, I do want to bring those 
rough things, the the bad things, the the tough times that they're having now to the attention of everybody. But I also want to say that, you know, people tend to, or people I've talked to, a lot of them have never heard of Yemen still, don't know much about where it is or what it involves. Um, but let me just say that, I mean, it is one of the most hospitable places we've mm-hmm. ever been as far as people taking care of us, people inviting us into their homes. I can't tell you the number of times that I went to a wedding and ended up sitting next to the groom just because I was the foreigner uh, mm-hmm. in attendance at the wedding. Lauren, your sister, was, we thought she was going to be something like a flower girl at a wedding, and she shows up in her, you know, her dainty little dress and ends up carrying a sword. A full-size so, I mean, sword. It's a great we could, picture. We could tell lots of stories about weapons, but. Yeah, um, for sure, and just adding on to that hospitable thing i mean i remember distinctly when i was in dubai uh and you know in dubai there's a lot of people from outside of dubai that live there and i found a couple yemenis and by the mere fact of me saying like i have been to yemen Mm -hmm. instant in like we were the best of friends it was like we had known each other forever and i mean it's just they're they are a people that love the people around them, but they also love their country so much. They're very proud, that's for sure. They're very tribal, which is not a bad thing. It's just very connected. Even those who lived in the big city would have, you know, village connections. Um, You have, uh, we mentioned the Camarillas. One, we don't have time to get deep into this today unless we do another episode, but um, cot, the the chewable stimulant bush, Mm -hmm. uh, big thing there. That's part of the reason they were running out of water. Um, They would gather this cod in the afternoons and and chew it and just it was kind of like at the end of the day they'd start off with a few leaves and at the end of the day they'd have this massive wad like a like a small orange in their cheek because uh, you don't they spit out the juice but they did not or well some of them did um but they didn't spit out the leaves and so it just gathered and gathered and gathered and gathered um so that that was kind of a major issue um one of the things I miss is, you know, I, when I came back to the States, I couldn't wear my skirt anymore. Um, one of the things, one of the common ways of dressing was wearing something called a futa. Or mm-hmm. a, uh, there was another word, but basically a futa, um, gosh, it's on the tip of my tongue. But it's basically like a wraparound skirt. So you wear shorts uh, and then wrap this uh, cloth around you. And it was just so cool because when you walk back inside, you could just toss the futa and wear your shorts. You didn't wear shorts out in public. Um, I learned to wear shorts because I went to the store next door early in our time there and I did not know you were supposed to wear shorts underneath and the shopkeeper thought he would be funny and grab my futa and jerk it and it was almost very embarrassing. Oh no. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) It didn't come all the way off but I uh, uh, wore shorts from then on. So then of course the jambia, we need to mention the jambia which is like a, a curved dagger sort of thing that all the men wore it was more of a a symbol than a than a weapon but you know at the hospital we did have people come in every now and then with jambia injuries so most of them were not very sharp but uh some of them went for you know thousands of dollars depending on if it was like a rhino horn handle and uh, yeah i think i remember reading an article about the most expensive Jambia being a rhino horn, and it was like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, it's crazy. And you, I mean, you think this poor country, but then they got these rhino horn. Now, there wasn't a lot of those, but there were some made of like amber, um, you know, old amber and stuff. So it was, it was mm-hmm. crazy. But. I think I, I think mine is a cow horn. 
because I really, I distinct, I remember really, because my first one I know was like a wood handle because wood, sure. those were cheaper. Oh yeah, and definitely. I, <laughs> I wanted a cow horn handle so bad for for my Jambia. I don't know if I ever ended up with one. You probably did. I think you got I think a, I did. a fairly real one late, later. I don't, I don't know. I got to figure out where all that stuff is. Somewhere in our house. Well, we've got it. They're around somewhere. So, Dad, what are a couple stories from Yemen that just stick out in your mind? I remember when we first got there, we were out with a friend, Some how we had met them, and um, we were out there by the house on the rock the house on the rock was kind of one of these old houses like i described but it was literally built on like the side of a mountain and the rock was incorporated into the house it was kind of cool the way it's built so if you look uh look up the house on the rock in yemen you'll see pictures on the google and we were out there kind of near there and this guy that we were with pulls a gun not on us but he just pulls a gun out and hands it to you and you know, <laughs> mom and I are freaking out, and he's like, "Oh, it's okay." Um, and I think mom's not said, loaded. Yeah. Well, no, mom said, "Well, it's not loaded." Is it go? He goes like, "Yeah, it's loaded," because <laughs> you know they <laughs> definitely loaded. Um, so you were introduced to firearms at a at a very early age. Like, I'm so sure that's you where don't that gun that. bug comes from. Yeah, you were you were pretty little at that point. And we there's one time you know they told us. Um, this didn't happen a lot, but they told us, you know, anytime there's a uh, a big crowd or, you know, that's upset, I hate to use the word riot, but, you know, if there was a, they, they would have marches where, um, you know, they would just, you know, protest the lack of education or because mm-hmm. the they didn't build a hospital or something like that. And so we were supposed to stay, stay clear of those, right? So... One day we're, we have some gas and we're taking them to a hotel down in the middle of the city. And I believe it was in ties. And we, uh, we ran into one of those and there was no backing up. So we're in this tiny little van, just (laughs) wiggling our way through this crowd of not happy people, uh, you know, full of them, you know, just a van full of Americans. And, uh, it was a little scary, but, but pretty you know, definitely memorable. And then in that same city, um, this is not really a Yemeni story per se, but um, at the top there was a mountain, um, kind of a little, Taz was on the kind of the side of a mountain, but but in the middle of town there was another little mountain, and I wish I could remember the name of it, but um, it had kind of an old castle type thing on top of it. And that's where the Imam's castle was, or where he had a castle, and he didn't live there all the time, but that's where supposedly he would bring um, like the oldest sons of the main families of Yemen there to quote unquote train them and educate them. Well, what it really was, it was his, you know, if he had the oldest son of all the main families and he had the power and the control of those families because, you know, it was less of an invitation and more of a, a demand to have them there. Mm-hmm. So um, we'd go up there a lot and one day it was kind of stormy and there was two iron or two metal posts I'm going to say three or four yards apart. And I don't know why exactly, but I just happened to be standing between these metal posts. And um, it was getting real stormy and lightning uh, struck nearby. And wow, I felt a little tingle and it felt like somebody had just like tapped the top of my head. And uh, I moved out from 
from the post at that point. <laughs> Were you struck by lightning? I don't think I was struck by lightning, but I think lightning uh, somehow got into. I mean, maybe it struck somewhere else on the mountain and kind of went up through this the metal, and mm-hmm. I was between. It was like, you know, I was just I was the conduit or whatever. You're the wow, engineer. That, you tell me what I was. That is crazy. Yeah, not a real Yemeni story, but it certainly stood out. Yeah, what about uh, I you? think one of them for me, uh, and I don't. And for correct me if I'm wrong. This is just what I remember. I remember when we were living in Ties, there was a guy that lived down the street, uh, a little bit to the left. So he was across the street, down to the left, past the house that was only half finished. And that's another thing you see a lot in Yemen: houses that are only half finished. Yep. Because you just build them with whatever money you have, and then you stop. And incomplete houses pay less tax. Oh, did so not that know was that. that was part of the reason too. If if your house was complete, then you you pay tax on it. But if it was still being built, then there was the taxes were less. Oh, that's good to know. That's the story we got anyway. Yeah. So, all that to say, I remember being at this guy's house. He was an older gentleman. I think his son was teaching you French at the time. Oh, okay. We called him the Goat Man. Yes, the Goat Man. And for some reason, I just distinctly remember being in the goat man's house watching Care Bears because Care Bears was the only <laughs> thing in Yemen that was in English. It was At the on, time, yeah. At the time, it was on their national whatever TV programs or whatever, but it was Care Bears in English, and it was the wildest thing. Now, yeah, I, I do need to say he wasn't teaching me French, but that was an interesting relationship because I was – I would help him a little bit with English, and uh, he would help me a little bit with Arabic, but he studied French in college. That was his major, and I knew some French from, from high school and college, and so every now and then when we couldn't quite get the English-Arabic connection, we would go into French to kind of help us make the you know get the, the translation right, so it was a very unique sort of language relationship, but yeah, that yeah. was fun. They were, they were great folks. Mm-hmm. And then another really distinct memory is I remember the first time that you and mom allowed me to buy firecrackers from the kid that like had a boxes of firecrackers that they would just kind of come around to the neighborhoods. I can't, just, I can't believe I did that, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't, I looking back, I can't believe it either, but I was hanging out with some of the Yemeni boys and I asked for some reals to to buy some firecrackers, and you let me buy them. Gosh, and I well, played with them. Well, that you know that for some reason that reminds me. You talking about the street? We, I remember one Christmas, because when in in ties where we lived for a while, it was kind of it wasn't as south as Aden or Hodeida, which is you know extremely hot in the summer, but it was not as cool. Like Sanaa would actually get cold in the in the winter. It was high up in the mountains. Ties was kind of halfway down, and you know it'd be cool-ish in the winter, but you know pretty warm in the summer. And so, but in the winter though, it's still not cold like here. And mm-hmm. I remember driving around town with like the air conditioner blowing, listening to the Alabama Christmas album, like Christmas and Dixie, on the on the CD player. Mm-hmm. And having to stop and let a pack of camels, and I'm not talking about a pack of camels cigarettes, I'm talking about a pack of literal camels cross the street while I'm listening to Christmas, Christmas and, Dixie. and Dixie. Yeah, it's kind of, it's just so surreal at times. But you'd go, um, I remember we went to a wedding 
early, early, early. Like we were not even through with language study. We had no business going to this village uh, without his, with this little area because we had, although it was a good language experience. But mom's language teacher was the host, and it was a family wedding of theirs, and we piled into this Peugeot mini station wagon. Her, it was a taxi, her father's taxi. And, I mean, they would pile. I remember taking those sometimes to Sanaa or Aden, you know, from wherever I was because it was the cheapest way to get anywhere. And you'd have, like, three guys in the front, four guys in the middle, four guys in the back. And Yemeni guys are pretty small in general. Not all of them, but generally speaking, small. I was not. And so usually I would end up paying for two seats up front just so I could have the front seat to myself pretty much. But I had to pay double. But it was worth every real. But not that uh not that, that was a ton of cash anyway. No, not at that time. But the, what we did was we went to this wedding and several things happened there. One we there was a cow in the in one of the bathrooms and we thought that was kind of odd that there's a cow in the bathroom. Well, later we discovered the cow was gone. Um, and then later we ate the cow. We discovered the, the cow that was in the bathroom was part of the wedding feast later. They um, slaughtered the fattened calf. Exactly. Um, so that was, and then the son who spoke very little English, the well, Melissa's language teacher spoke great English. So we were fine as long as she was around, but when she wasn't around, um, and I was with the brother, he decided he's going to go to a wedding in another village. So we got in the taxi and took off and we're almost there had to cross this little creek or a wadi that actually had water in it and if you you know that's another biblical word wadi which is like a, a creek bed and sometimes there's water and sometimes there's not and you have to be real careful in case the water comes while you're crossing it um but we tried to cross the wadi in this taxi and we flooded out so we had to um hitch a ride in the back of somebody's uh toyota hilux truck to get to the wedding we got there and um, he has this AK-47 he's carrying with him, which is pretty normal. And we get there, and pretty he shoot, standard. shoots it up in the air to announce our arrival and uh, for the wedding and accidentally hits the part of the roof of a, of a house nearby. So he takes a few little chips off with his. And they would, I mean, they would shoot these guns with tracers on them. It was kind of cool to see, but kind of scary because, like, you know, those bullets got to come down mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, yep. And I remember vividly being in this sort of wasn't a courtyard per se but there was a lot of buildings uh, or in this village and um there was kind of an open area in the middle of them and i remember seeing a guy in a san francisco 49ers jersey number 80 jerry rice who is we've discussed on this program before when we talked about collections your favorite player and my favorite player from locally from the Starville area and uh, so, I, you know, in the middle of Yemen, in a village that I've never been to before, there's a guy in a Jerry Rice jersey. So Small world. Cool. Yeah. And then the Jambia, one more thing about the, the wedding. We were, I really didn't know how to dress exactly there. So, like, at a wedding, you'd wear a thobe, which is like a long white robe. You wear the Jambia as the, kind of the belt. And so I just thought, well, we're at a wedding. We, we wear the Jambia wherever. So we, we got up the next morning, and I had, like, on jeans and I started strapping on my Jambia or with my jeans. And uh, the brother looked at me and kind of smiled and did his finger and said, no, no, no. <laughs> don't, you don't wear the Jambia with the jeans. So, a little, little fashion advice there for my friends. Yes.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, you know those drum beats. They are time for our favorites. It's not, it's pretty late here, so pardon for my English. <laughs> Dad, what's your favorite for this week? I'm going to recommend a book, and we'll, we'll come back to this. Obviously, we didn't get to food this episode, not much anyway. So we will do a part two that, uh, about Yemeni food, because I think we could talk just as long about it. But I do want to mention um, Yemen has a rich history in the world of coffee. And you know, we'll have to hit that history specifically one day. But there's a book that came out uh, in the last couple of years called The Monk of Mocha, written by Dave Eggers. And it's a story of a Yemeni guy who basically grew up in, in America. His name is Mukhtar Al-Khanshali. And he's basically living in San Francisco. He kind of stumbles on um, the history of coffee and how it has to do with Yemen. And kind of goes in and it's crazy. I learned so much about just the coffee business in reading this book, much less the story. But it's a great story of how he learned about coffee, learned the role Yemen played in it, went to Yemen, tried, you know, got together with farmers and helped them to kind of standardize their crop because that was one of the things about Yemeni coffee was it has a rich history, but currently it was hard to find consistency. So he goes in and it helps them with their growing methods and helps them with their um, the, the process from bean to cup, basically, and uh, comes out with this coffee that now, if you go to Port of Mocha, M-O-K-H-A is the name of his company, uh, you go on Instagram or go to his website, it, it's incredibly expensive coffee, but it's also one of the highest graded coffees uh, in the world. So anyway, The Monk of Mocha by Dave Eggers. If you're interested in coffee at all, if you're interested in Yemen at all, or both, it's, it's a really great read. So that's my favorite. That's awesome. I am also going to recommend a book. I actually read Monk of, Monka, Monk of Mocha, and I mm -hmm. thought it was great as well. Uh, my book is The Valley of Vision. It is a book by Banner of Truth Publishers, and it is a collection of Puritan prayers. Uh, so for those church history buffs, the Puritans uh, were from England. Uh, they were part of the Protestant Reformation of kind of the, the Anglican Church. I'm studying in church history right now. But uh, they were extremely uh, devout and devoted Christians. Uh, and they uh, have some very beautiful prayers. Um, so I've been doing it as part of my quiet time, and it has really been good for my soul. So the Valley of Vision, and it comes in this really beautiful leather cover. Are they like short short prayers, or are they like yeah? None of many, them take longer than longer? two pages. Okay. So they read more like poetry. Cool. Sounds so. good. Well, I'll have to check that out. So we want to thank everybody for listening. If you've enjoyed it and think others might enjoy it too, please share. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you found us and they are legion. You can also find us on the worldwide interweb at Vittle Vital Pod on Instagram and Twitter Vittles and Vital Podcast on Facebook and we'd love to hear from you. If you have an idea, something you'd like to hear us cover shoot us a DM and remember, if it's vital look for the Vittles.